0: This summer we've been working our way through the letter of Ephesians and today we are going to wrap this uh, letter up uh, with Ephesians uh, chapter 6 starting at verse 10. As I read it, it will be up on the screen as well. Paul writes, finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Lord, as we hear from the scriptures, I pray you open our hearts and our minds and our very imaginations to what you're calling us into as we partner with you in your kingdom. Amen. may be seated. Good morning. morning. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Pastor Anthony. So thankful you are here and uh, as as well as joining us online. So uh, if you don't know me, I'm married to my beautiful wife Tanya and in our house there is a cosmic battle going on. On one side of the battle line is myself and my beautiful wife and on the other side is this tiny terrorist called Soren. Don't let the dashingly, good-looking father looks that have been given to him fool you. He is sweet, and he is also a tiny terrorist, making demands of all kinds all the time, demanding this and that. Anyone else watch Baby John at home? Yeah, a couple of your parents out there? Little Angel? Awful, awful, but all the time. And we sit there, and we know he is three years old, almost three. He has no agency in the house, yet he continually with his schemes and his fiery darts. We think he's done at night and then, bam, got ya! And he attacks us out of nowhere. And then our small group, we get like 10 to 15 other families with toddlers and we are vastly outnumbered. We just drink, or drink pizza and eat beer. There you go. That's how it feels at the time. And we just throw our hands up. And my wife and I continually remind each other, do not give in to his demands. Stand firm against his attacks. Now, we love him, and he's adorable, and he's absolutely perfect, and uh, he likes—he's a T-Rex right now, rawr, all the time. You saw him running around the lobby this morning. This morning, as we wrap up Ephesians, Paul actually is—he's uh, outlining what he's been alluding to the entire letter, that there is this cosmic battle going on all around us. On one side is God in um, Jesus Christ, the good, redeeming, powerful, creative power that he displayed in the resurrection. And on the other side is the power of the evil one. But Paul lets us know up front that who our enemy is not. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Hear this. Your enemy in this battle is never another human being. Because according to Scripture, every single human being is made in the image of God. Now, do we struggle? Do we wrestle with other humans? Yes. But according to him, our, our cosmic battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul is getting at that. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against uh, other human beings. It's not even against what we can necessarily see. Many commentators on this passage, they talk about that really behind the scenes, there is this dark force, the evil one. And one way we see this evil come to be is in the institutions that we as humans create in our governments, our economies, our social systems, our worldviews, our cultures. Not that they're all bad and corrupt, but the problem is that you and I, we often attribute our own values and systems to these things, and we end up making them divine, where we start sacrificing our time and our money and our energy into these things that actually are ruled by the rulers and the authorities the powers of this darkness that through these systems the evil one is wreaking havoc on god's good creation and you and i are now in the middle of this cosmic battle now some of you may be like really satan we're talking okay really like other little devils everywhere like surely we have evolved past this way of thinking in the world C.S. Lewis wrote about this. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, right? Just rationalize it all away. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Or maybe you're the type, like, you wake up in the morning groggy in your tiny terrorist left Legos next to your bed and you stub your toe. Ah, be gone, Satan! probably not. It was probably just an accident or whatever. Satan isn't hiding under every little bushel, right? No, that's not a healthy way either. Either we ignore it completely or we obsess over it, and neither is healthy. In the West, we've kind of rationalized that thinking out the window, but really that's kind of the minority in the world. Many cultures, other world religions— They have a healthy category for this dark power in the world, the evil one. So this morning, I'm not going to lay out a theology of the devil or evil or all of that. Those are good and important things, but that's not the goal this morning. But we're going to assume the assumptions that Paul has here, and really that most of the world has, and also what Orthodox Christianity has taught for 2,000 years, that there's an evil one who wants to destroy God's good creation. So what do we do with this in response, not to the the flesh and blood, but to these dark and evil powers? Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So this passage, the armor of God is a very popularized uh, passage in scripture. I like to call them like coffee mug passages where you see them on a coffee mug. Um, I like the one from Jeremiah, 4 I Know The Plans I Have For You, and it's like to graduates, and it's actually about Israel being completely unfaithful and being exiled into Babylon because they've been so awful. And we're like, good job, graduates. Like, you got 4 I Know The Plans I Have For You, right? We just, we, we read it out of context. And this passage, often we read out of context also. When we hear the armor of God... For many of us, especially men, like it's used in men ministry all the time. Like, yeah, pick up your armor and go kill the enemy for Jesus. Yeah. And that's really shaped more by World War II movies and war documentaries and like the militaristic culture of our country, more so than the scriptures itself. Now, those things are all bad. I'm not offering commentary on those things, but that's not what Paul is getting at here this morning. So for the next couple of minutes, we're going to have to nerd out. We have to kind of dive in, like follow a a line throughout scriptures to see what Paul is actually doing here. So Paul, it was a good Jewish, educated, very well-educated Jewish man. His entire worldview, the way he just approached reality was steeped in the Hebrew scriptures. And in Isaiah 59, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying of the coming Messiah. And in Isaiah 59, go read it for yourself this week, he's actually speaking of God's armor, the armor that is on the coming Messiah who is Jesus, And he's actually using a lot of this same imagery, a breastplate of righteousness. He's talking about the helmet and and salvation and truth and faith. And it's not something that Isaiah is putting on. It's not something Paul is putting on. It's actually God's armor that he is clothing himself in. So I would think there's a good, you can carry this thought through that when Paul is referring to the armor of God, he's actually talking about God's armor is being placed on you being placed on us now what does the armor protect the body right all right last service a lot of people first service no one this one one person we're there you're just ready to go see the new space it's okay hang in with me we will get through this together so the 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 armor of god god's armor is actually meant to protect the body and a huge theme in ephesians is the body of christ I mean, this is the crux of his letter, that in Christ there's a new humanity, a new body of God here on this earth. So, follow me, God's armor protects the body is placed on us in Christ, that we are now clothed as followers of Jesus in God's very armor. And he says uh, in Ephesians 4, Paul is Uh, he's kind of pointing out how in christ we are to take off our old self the old self that is uh, prone to sin and decay and death and evil and to put on the new self created after the likeness of god and true righteousness and holiness now this word here for put on has it carries with it a passive meaning as if someone else is dressing you a soldier most likely had to have someone aid in dressing them in their armor because it's big and bulky. They can't get it on themselves. There's this passive aspect to it. And this is God's armor that we're not called to dress ourselves in. Paul's not like, come on, men, put on your armor, get ready for battle. saying, no, put on. Someone else is putting it on you. And then he goes and lists kind of these... Uh, he he ta- connects different parts of the armor to different aspects of what it means to be a Christian, of these kind of things that are hard for you and I to grasp. Faith, righteousness, salvation. These things that are kind of more like we put them in the spiritual category, and he's tying them to these tactile, real things that his hearers would have been aware of. So how do we connect these things? How do we grasp salvation and faith? How do we know they've been put on us if it's this passive meaning. Paul, then if we jump to one of his other letters, he's, he uses this word, the same word for put on. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have what? Say it with me. Put on Christ. So in our baptism, we've actually already put on, or Christ has already put himself on us, covered us. That in the waters of baptism, we receive righteousness. We receive faith. We receive our forgiveness of sins. And we are also grafted into the body which the armor of Christ has already covered himself with. That in the tactile, real, you can feel the cool, wet water. God attaches these things to you, just as Paul is using this imagery of of armor to salvation and faith. You guys follow me? So you might be questioning like, how do I get this armor? What where do I find this armor you speak of? You've been baptized into Christ, you already have it. It's yours. If you're not baptized and you would like to be baptized, come talk to myself or Pastor Danner for you and your whole family. We'd love to enter uh, into that conversation with you. So you're dressed with the armor, right? And you would think Paul would say, you're dressed for the armor, charge, go to battle. He actually doesn't do that. His call is to stand firm. Stand firm. Some of you might not like what Paul is actually doing here because Paul is not calling the followers of Jesus to be on the offense and go look for a fight. He's not. He's telling the followers of Jesus to stand Firm against the attacks of the evil one, with the passivity that comes with being clothed in God's armor. And this is actually a theme we see in the Old Testament. All the way back in Exodus, when Israel has been enslaved to Egypt for 400 years, we read this And Moses said to the people, Fear not what? Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will work for you today. Watch Yahweh do his thing. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to fight really hard and be like really crafty and get really angry. No! And be silent. And you see this theme play out over and over and over in Israel's relationship to battle. God often whittles Israel's army, which is already pitiful, down to almost nothing. Their weapons were nothing where any nation would be like, man, we wish we had their warfare. And time and time again, Yahweh goes before them and fights the battle for them. Yet, Israel many times would look at the other nations and be like, we should get an army like theirs. We need weapons like theirs. We need tactics like that. Anytime they boasted in themselves when they thought they had what it takes to defeat the army, how did it go? (sighs) Not good. They would be defeated by their enemies, sent off into exile for their disobedience. In the New Testament, we see Jesus often talking about how God uses the the shameful things of this world, the things that are foolish, to, to shame the wise. That he often flips things on their heads from the way it should be. And we see Paul doing this as he's writing this letter. Where is Paul writing this letter from? Prison. Paul is not writing this letter from the head uh, military camp at the front lines of battle. He's not writing it from a place of power or prestige or influence. He's writing it while bound and changed, knowing his life doesn't have many days ahead of it. And he doesn't write to the people in Ephesus and be like, come break me out so we, can, so we can rebel against everyone and bring in the kingdom of God. No, he doesn't do that. He says, pray for me. As I endure these attacks, I pray that you persevere also. He says he's an ambassador in chains. What good can an ambassador do bound in chains? According to our world's wisdom, nothing, useless. But to Paul, He sees himself under the attack. He knows he is clothed in the armor of God. And he says, pray for me that I may boldly speak of the mystery of the gospel. That I may boldly proclaim of the reconciliation in Christ. And as Paul is writing this letter, he mentions that um, in the evil day, he's pointing to the last day. That the standing firm has an already but not yet aspect to it. That Paul knows, in that moment of suffering, I don 't think he was like, Yay, I'm in prison, I'm so excited." He probably was distraught and frustrated and angry, but he knew in that moment, the attack to the evil one could not um, uh, could not have its final claim on his life, even in death, because Paul knew that a greater day was coming, and he's pointing to the Ephesians, and he's saying. Brothers and sisters, he's pointing to you and I in Austin today, saying, brothers and sisters, the day is coming when Jesus, who is our armor, will return and he will deal with all evil. He will judge all unrighteousness. He will crush the head of the evil one once and for all. And on that day, all evil will be destroyed. All tears will be wiped away. All uh, disease and death and brokenness will be put in the grave once and for all. But till that day, stand firm. As a soldier stands firm and takes the attacks, yeah, you might get, get beat up a little bit. Maybe a broken rib here or there. A bloody nose. But at the end of the day... When Christ returns, we will be standing firm, no longer for the need of armor, but clothed in his righteousness. Joining with all of creation, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So, what does that mean for us? What is this whole letter of Ephesians over the last six weeks? How do we boil it down? Because Paul wrote this to a specific people, (coughs) excuse me, a specific time. But what does it mean for us today, living in 2023? in Austin. As I've been praying and, and talking with many of you just over the last couple of weeks in Bible class and and what you've been hearing and being um, just kind of shaped and formed by this letter, I've been praying like, Lord, what is it as we wrap this letter up that you want to say to Bethany? And it kind of started last week when I was pre- preaching. They just kept coming to me and kind of tested it with other other people that I've been talking about, and just this simple phrase keeps coming up don't be afraid. See, Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, and they had converted, they had left their old life behind, and persecution was starting to boil. They got to the point of stuff that you and I will probably never endure living where we live. And this last part of his letter is actually him saying, it's a pastoral word saying, you're clothed in God's armor. Stand firm. Persevere. Pray for me that I may proclaim the gospel in the short time I have left. Don't be afraid. As I observe the world and Christian culture and um, the really fun place that is Facebook and other social media and conversations and news cycles. I see so many Christians, and I can fall victim to this at time also, of seeing the world changing around us and operating from a place of fear. And fear often doesn't look like, oh, it often comes out as being really angry and offensive. And lashing out and attacking. In the last couple of weeks, we've really hit all, not all, we've hit a lot of hot topic issues, and people are like, oh, you and Danny have been brave. We're like, we're just preaching what the text says. <laughs> Love your enemy. Confess and repent. Your enemy is never flesh and blood. Don't be afraid. Don't be like Israel when they were at their worst and mimicking the cultures in the world around them. Thinking that if you get the right person in power, then God's kingdom will unleash. It's just not the case. We're called to stand firm. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you in your context. Like, I've really been trying, like, this week, Lord, like, give me, like, a final story or an image of where someone stood firm in their faith. And I don't know what that looks like for you. For some of you, the attacks may be um, very real where you've got the diagnosis or a loved one where you're literally staring death in the face. And Paul's saying, stand firm. A day is coming when death will be defeated once and for all. For you, it might be just the 24-hour news cycle. Choose your flavor. And Paul's saying, the attacks, the lies... You have the truth of Christ. Stand firm. I don't know what it is for you. Stand firm. And Paul writes this to the church. Not to individuals. Can it be applied to individuals? Yes, but the church. One soldier in battle standing firm. Good luck. Not going to last very long. That's why he's writing to the church saying, Stand firm together shoulder to shoulder, clothed in the armor of God, ready to take the attacks, to stand firm. And as we do that, we aren't waging war. We're called to be prophetic witness, yes, to speak truth, to stand up where, where the scriptures call us to stand up, but from a posture of confession and repentance and humility. Trusting that it's Yahweh who goes before us, that we are clothed in in the righteousness of Christ. And the rest is up to God. As I've been kind of just praying and thinking about how to close this series, I came across a quote this week that I think beautifully summarizes what Paul is getting at in this letter to Ephesians, that he's calling a group of people... To reflect the love of Jesus in their culture that is hostile to the love of Jesus. Francis Schaeffer writes this, Our relationship with each other, Christians, the church, Our relationship with each other is the measure the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. The world's watching, friends. What a beautiful opportunity we have to reflect the love of Jesus into this world in thought, word, and deed. And he he goes on to say, Christian community is the final apologetic. Christian community is the final apologetic. So may the Spirit work in your relationships with one another and our relationship as a church. That people see that and go, I want in. People aren't going to come to Bethany because we have a really beautiful, swanky new area. It's beautiful and I love it. But they're going to come and enjoy that because they see your relationships with one another and go, I want in on that. And your lobby is beautiful. Wow. <laughs> That's what's going to draw people in years to come is how we live in relationship with one another. So Lord, as we wrap up this letter in Ephesians, I pray that you pour your blessing upon us to reflect your love and mercy to this world. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room and watching online that you help us stand firm against the attacks of the evil one, knowing that we have been called into community with one another, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that the attacks of the evil one will not withstand the day you return and make all things new. But till then, Lord, give us grace and strength to stand firm in your love for us. Amen. Amen.
1: As we prepare together to receive Holy Communion, we're gonna take a moment now and just confess our sins and be reminded of his mercy and grace. And so let's go to God together. Dear Heavenly Father, um, if Christian community is the final apologetic, then we need to apologize. Because Father, we're not always faithful in our community. Uh, We don't love each other as you've called us to. We don't demonstrate the heart of Christ in our relationships towards one another. And so, Father God, uh, when we come together here at Bethany, it's an opportunity to hit the reset button, be able to start over, to understand your will and where you're calling us and where you're leading us, and then just seeking your mercy and grace so that we can begin anew, renewed, in the promise that we have in Christ. And so whatever it is that is on our hearts and minds today, all the different ways that we are not faithful, where we don't hear your call and follow faithfully, we just come to you now at the foot of the cross and pray for, your forgiveness, for our forgiveness. And Heavenly Father, out of great love, you did indeed send your one only Son into this world to create a new community And give us new life. And through what he did and what he accomplished, you are forgiven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.